Welcome to the Cardo Martin Podcast, the A to Z of building surveying, giving you the lowdown on the world of building surveying. In this episode, we're going to have a chat with Alexandra Redmond, a director at Cardo Martin. Welcome, Alex. Thanks, James. Well, good to have you on board. First things first, then. Just, um, well, you've been on before, but tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do at Cardo Martin. Well, I'm a director at Cardo Martin and I head up the commercial team, um, just looking at all the commercial property and looking after all our commercial clients. That's great. Thank you very much. So uh, you've already been through the hailstorm that is the quickfire round in previous episodes. So we're going to try something a little different. You ready for this? Go on. (laughs) Right. What's the last building you surveyed? Um, Oh, goodness. Only last week. Oh, it was a, a lovely terraced grade two listed mixed use building that was the former headquarters of the Premier League in Gloucester Place. Very nice building. Lovely. Sounds good. What's the most interesting thing you've learned this week? It's quite early in the week, so why not last week as well? Well, it was actually something interesting I learned this week, but I don't know if anyone else will find it interesting. It was about um, when you do and you don't charge fat on expenses and disbursements. Pretty dry topic, but something I didn't know before and found quite interesting and enlightening. Any uh, key points to take away? Yes, sometimes that applies, sometimes it doesn't. You have to read the HMRC guidance. What future concepts do you find most interesting? Um, That's all we're doing, the built environment. I suppose how technology's made such a huge impact on buildings and the built environment we live in and I guess how interesting it's going to be to see how the current built environment stock adapts to embrace technology and adapts to suit how we live in the future. Okay, great. Thank you. Now, last question. Which do you prefer, Rick or Morty? Uh, I think that's obvious. <laughs> I don't think anyone prefers Morty. Uh, it's obviously Rick. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. So join us now for a journey through time and materials as we give you the lowdown on dilapidations for tenants. So our first question today is, what is dilapidations? Well, that's a very good question to start with. Dilapidations is derived from the word dilapidated, which if you're not aware of what that means, it's basically the description for a building in very poor state of repair and in need of lots and lots of repairs to put it back into good shape and condition for somebody to occupy. And dilapidations in the sense of the topic of the podcast relates to breaches of lease covenants Uh, relating to the condition of property during the term of a tenancy or when the lease ends. It's usually recorded in a schedule of dilapidations, which may be received or issued by the landlord during the tenancy or at the end of the lease. The dilapidations are recorded in a schedule of dilapidations, which is basically a schedule which sets out all of the list of the breaches which a surveyor has picked up within a property, which are to be remedied by the tenant and is usually used to set out the basis of a claim for those breaches to be remedied by the tenant by either carrying out the works or paying a financial settlement for the landlord to carry out the works after the tenant has vacated. The expectations for the process for dilapidations is set out in the dilapidations protocol, which sets out the standard for the timescales, documentation and the negotiation process involved. That's really useful. Thank you very much for that review. So uh, I'm guessing then when we're talking about tenants, we're not talking about me renting a flat somewhere as a private individual. We're talking about commercial stuff then, aren't we? So how do I know if I am a tenant and that actually kind of fits my bill? 
Well, it's not unlike a residential tenancy in the sense that you're renting a building for a period of time from a professional landlord, but you'll be using it for commercial purposes. So you'll be using it as a place of work or an office or a shop, maybe a restaurant, and you'll be entering into a slightly different type of arrangement with a landlord for a commercial premises because you'll usually be taking a lease on a longer or fixed term basis. So normally from anything from five years, I've seen leases that go up to 100 years in the past. So when you're involved in a lease for a commercial property, you'll be usually as a named party on the lease uh, with alongside the landlord. Uh, you may also be an assignee or a subtenant, which means that you've taken on a lease that somebody else originally signed with the landlord. And by taking on that lease, you may also have taken on some of the liability for dilapidations as well. That's great. Thank you. See, why does dilapidations apply to me then? I've taken over a, a commercial unit on an industrial estate on the outside of Plymouth and, and I guess the tenancy is coming to an end. What does it mean? What do I've got to do? Well, it's important to note that dilapidations doesn't apply in all cases. It really depends on the wording of your lease. So it's very important initially to check the wording and the terms of the lease that you've signed and make sure that you're aware of what your obligations are. But if dilapidations do apply, it will be defined within lease for the premises. The general principle behind dilapidations is that a tenant should return a lease property to the landlord in the same condition that it was at the beginning of the lease. Uh, the fine print of the lease will generally set out the landlord's expectations on this, including things like how to decorate it at the end of the lease, what you should remove at the end of the lease, so any furniture or fixtures and fittings, anything you've installed, which might even include carpets, kitchens, signage, and also a sort of coverall term to yield up the premises at the end of the term. I've put a lot of money into this commercial unit outside of Plymouth. Uh, we've been there for 10, 15 years. Am I just going to rip it all out and it's all going to the tip? Um, not always. It depends really on what sort of condition you took it on and what the use of the premises is. If you took it on to use it as something quite specialist, it's and quite a niche industry, then you might find that the landlord would find the premises fitted out to your specification difficult to let to another tenant. So the chances are they're going to want it returned back to them as something that can be easily customised by the next tenant coming in. Now, that I understand, because from a landlord's point of view, that makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? They're going to want something they can sell back as well. Essentially, yes. And if you took it in a condition where the property was empty and there was nothing in it at the beginning of the lease, then the landlord will probably want it back in that condition when you hand it back to them at the end. So uh, we're talking about schedules here. And uh, so what is a schedule of dilapidations? And when would I receive one? Well, there's a couple of different types of schedules of dilapidations and they have key differences. The less common schedule is a interim schedule of dilapidations, which uh, generally covers items of disrepair and won't normally be presented with any costs. And this can be issued at any time during your lease. You may receive one of these if the landlord is concerned that you aren't maintaining the property properly or there's a lot of disrepair and they're worried that you're not going to address these issues whilst you're in occupation and at the end of the lease there'll be a lot of work to do. So that's occasionally something that happens although it's not as common as the schedule of dilapidations which you'd receive at the end of the lease which is referred to as a terminal schedule of dilapidations and this is a much bigger document. Uh, it includes items for reinstatement so 
the removal of any, you know, your installations, for instance, you mentioned at your commercial premises in Plymouth, that will be to reinstate it back to the condition that it was and the fit out that it had at the beginning of the lease for decoration as well. So if you've not decorated the premises in accordance with the lease terms and also for disrepair items, similarly to the interim schedule. And you'll often find that a terminal schedule is a, a costed document. What do you mean by costed? Well, the costed schedule is essentially what the, the schedule of dilapidations is presented as an itemised list of all of the works that you'd essentially be required to do to meet your lease obligations. I understand. So point one would be paint. Two would be rip up carpets, replace with lino, say. Precisely. And that would have a cost associated with it. So in the event that you wanted to do the works yourself, you understand what the landlord would want you to do. But if you haven't got time or you don't want to do it within your lease term, then there's an option to settle financially with the landlord. So do you find most people will do the, like, the, is there an easier option that I'd probably most people take, like 80-20 rule, 80% just pay up and the landlord has to take the, um, the work on? Or, or what do you find in your career? It really depends on what suits the tenant. So some tenants may have their premises lined up to move on to and have enough time left on their current lease to be able to get a contractor in and to do all of the works that are listed within the schedule. And if they've got a rent-free period at their new premises, then that gives them an ideal opportunity to not have to pay for two premises at the same time and complete those works, which can sometimes be cheaper if you know a contractor or you work with contractors as part of your job. But uh, some people would prefer to stay in occupation, use the premises for as long as possible. And then on the end of the day, just hand the keys back to the landlord and leave it to the landlord to do any reinstatement works and then cover the costs for the landlord to do that. Yeah. Okay. Understood. So why would I have to pay for all of that? What's my responsibility there? Well, the devil is in the detail of the lease. So at the beginning of your lease, you signed up to agree to carry out certain maintenance and repairs to the property during your lease term. And generally, you'd expect, similarly to a residential tenancy, that you'll keep the property in generally good condition so that when you leave a tenant like yourself who can move in and enjoy using that premises straight after you leave. So mostly it's because you signed up to it, but there's also an aspect that there should be an allowance for a continuation of a new tenancy after you're gone. That's really useful. Thank you. So what if it was like this when I moved in? Or I know we kind of brushed over this, but if I've improved the premises, or certainly I think I've improved in premises, I suppose, what do we do? Well, it's quite common for a tenant to take a lease on a property that isn't in great condition at the beginning of the lease. A lot of the time, you're quite keen to get moving. You want to take occupation as soon as possible so you can start or continue trading. So you'll kind of accept the premises without it being decorated, with partitions that somebody else has installed, an old kitchen perhaps. But a lot of the time, because you're in such a hurry and you're really just keen to get started, this this isn't recorded. So you've moved into a premises that doesn't necessarily reflect what the landlord thinks that they're handing to you, which is normally shown in the lease plan. So you'll get a plan of the premises which will show the layouts. And if you do take it with partitions and kitchens, those aren't always shown. Again, it could be a previous tenant thinks that they've done someone a favour by putting cubicle offices in or installing a kitchen but a new tenant might look at the space and say well actually I'd like to have the manager's office in that corner and I want an open plan office space yeah or you just need an open plan working area exactly you just do metalwork exactly or you're just sticking in workshops or desks or kitchen equipment so you can't really rely on a tenant wanting to keep it but 
at the same time you might take a premises that's already had something done to it which isn't recorded so when you move in you might unknowingly be taking the liability for removing them at the end of your own lease which can then add costs to your own dilapidations even if you don't do anything to that premises whilst you're in occupation the landlord may still include those items at the end of the lease if there hasn't been any acknowledgement or formal recording of the condition and fit out of the premises at the beginning of the lease. So I think you hit on like the recording element. So how can I protect myself from having to pay all this money? Well, I think the main thing is to get the best possible legal advice pre-lease. Make sure that you get a solicitor who is experienced, who understands both the conveyancing and lease setup process, but also the dilapidations process so that you can have those discussions up front and definitely discuss dilapidations as part of the lease negotiations. So you both make sure that you understand what your obligations are, but also that if there is anything that you can agree up front with regards to dilapidations, some leases carve out any dilapidations liability entirely, or if there is a specific installation that's already there that you would use, but because it's already there, you don't want to have to be liable for taking it out at the end of the lease, then make sure that that's talked about and then carved out of any lease agreements. If the premises are not in great condition or even in good condition, you should think about getting a schedule of condition at the start of the lease, which you'll need to do formally by a third independent party and make sure that that's agreed with the landlord and then appended to your lease document by the solicitors. Um, Maintain the property during the lease. It's quite important. The more maintenance you do and the better records you keep, especially with services, so your electrical testing, gas, etc. That's pretty important because that will serve you well at the end of the lease. And then towards the end of the lease, if you are planning to leave, have discussions with the landlord as early as possible um, to see what they would want you to do on your exit so you can decide whether it would be better for you to do the work or for you to financially settle or if they might want to keep any of these fancy alterations or installations that you've made. And then possibly if you've gotten to the point where you've got a schedule of dilapidations and it's a bit of a surprise and it's really high um, and you think possibly it's more than the value of the property, you could consider getting specialist legal advice on a Section 18 valuation, which is where the value of the property is essentially lower than the cost of the dilapidations relating to repairs. So if you've got a lot of repair and disrepair items in there, then that can also help reduce your claim if it is relevant. So it sounds like it's very easy to gear up for war with this one. Do you find there's a lot of battles and you're kind of stuck in the middle of this? Do people tend to be able to organise and upfront the lease so that at the end there's not this me versus you type situation? It tends to be quite a uh, a con- confrontational process, really. I think because leases are so open to interpretation, a lot of people don't really understand exactly what they're getting themselves into, especially tenants who are small businesses or dealing with small premises might take that residential type view that they think that at the end of the premises, so long as they've taken all their stuff and not damaged the property, that everything will be okay. But that's not necessarily true. It'll be, it can be quite a lot more than you think it is. So I think most cases are confrontational rather than easy peasy. The other thing that occurs to me is this idea of, say I let my mate borrow this, he's in this Plymouth shed for three years, um, but we signed an agreement, so I've kind of sublet it. Is he going to be liable for the dilapidations of via the sublet, or is it going to be, still be me? Um, it really depends on the terms of the assignment or sublease. Um, a lot of the time, the dilapidations liability is passed on, but sometimes it isn't. So it really depends. I mean, if you wanted to pass it on to your friends, then you you could. But I could stitch them up quite nicely there, could I? 
it happens quite a lot. I don't think it's an intentional stitch up necessarily, but I think a lot of people who are taking the assignment because they might think, well, it's a release that's maybe running for another two or three years that something like this won't happen because it's a small shop, lock up shop maybe, or a small restaurant. Um, and it's been on a lease that's say 25, 30 years by the original tenant and it's been assigned or subleased several times. And that could be where real problems arise because a lot of people don't really know what they're getting themselves into. So the the moral of that story then is no matter what stage in the, whether you're sublet, 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 you need to check your responsibilities. And if it's a bit cloudy, then you need to get advice before you step into this then because it's I, I think this could be very expensive. No matter what size property or what size lease you're taking, getting the best possible legal advice that you can afford before you sign any documents, these are legal documents, is critical to making sure that you don't end up with a bill that you would expect someone else to have to pay because you've only taken it for three of the 25 years. Back to the question. So, so it's too late for all that. So I can't really rescue it. What can I do if I'm facing this sort of situation now? We're in the mire. So you've received a terminal schedule of dilapidations for a lot more money than you thought. You've read through the items and you're looking at them thinking, well, hang on a second. I don't think that I should be liable for this. And that seems like a lot of money for decorating a room. Well, then the best thing you should do is hire a good surveyor experienced in dilapidations to uh, help you negotiate the costs that the landlord's claiming. Very important to get good, honest advice. Don't, you know, accepts advice that people promising that they're going to save you 100% or 80% of the claim without having looked at it in detail. Um, It is a case of someone who's experienced in negotiating. Um, Also, some of the items we touched on earlier, such as the Section 18 valuation, might still be relevant and helpful. And also, if you can dig up any records such as your gas safety tests and electrical testing records and any other lease pre-lease documents you might have if you've got any emails which evidence the condition of the property before the lease so maybe you've emailed the agents and said well the property's in terrible condition but I'll take it anyway then some of those things can help if the landlord is amenable but it doesn't guarantee it the best thing to do is just to make sure that anything like that is agreed pre-lease but if you're in that situation now the best thing to do is try and negotiate. Okay, so it sounds like there's rules to this game and uh, you need to understand them before you go into, or certainly as you're on the way on the exit um, for these. So um, any final tips to listeners out there who might be in any of the sort of situations we've talked about today? Yes, I think the final thing to consider is to get a provisions report, which basically is a report which at any point during your lease, you might be a landlord or a tenant, but it's very helpful for tenants to consider getting one because a provisions report will explain to you what the likely extent of your dilapidations liability might be for a terminal claim. So an surveyor will basically attend your premises, assess the condition of the premises, look at the terms of your lease and provide a scenario of what the landlord's claim might look like so it gives you an idea of how much dilapidations you might be liable for which helps you from an accounting point of view so you can make sure that you're provisioning for it in your company accounts and also that you can prepare financially for perhaps doing the works at some point in the future towards the end of your lease or knowing that that's potentially how much you might have to pay out if when the lease ends if you want to stay right up to the end day thank you for that You've been tuned into Cardo Martin's A to Z of Building Surveying podcast. Thanks for listening and thank you very much to our guest Alexander Redmond for joining us today. Thank you very much, James. And giving us the lowdown on dilapidations for tenants.